0: Well, in two weeks it will be Easter Sunday, and once again we will be celebrating the Resurrection. And even though the Easter Bunny has taken center stage for some, most still recognize the fact that Easter is primarily about the Resurrection of Jesus. In fact, nearly a third of the Earth's population claim to be Christian. And distinguishing belief that separates Christians from non-Christians is belief in the resurrection of Christ. Still, many in historically Christian populations do not believe in the resurrection of Christ. And the new atheists in our culture try to give the impression that rejection of the resurrection is relatively new. It's something that has resulted from modern man giving up superstitious beliefs held by the uninformed and uneducated masses of the past. Well, fact of the matter is that belief in the resurrection has always been hard. It's hard to believe that anyone could actually rise from the dead. Even some of the Christians in Corinth were finding that hard to believe just 30 years after Christ arose from the grave. They still clung to the belief that Jesus had risen but had given up on the hope that they would ever rise again. So Paul confronted them with the illogical nature of their diminished faith. Writing to them in 1 Corinthians 15, he said, Now if Christ is preached, that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we witnessed against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins, then those who fall asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Belief in the resurrection of Christ and the hope of our future resurrection are indivisibly linked. You can't rationally believe in one without believing in the other. And obviously, belief in Christ's resurrection has to come first. It's His resurrection that makes our resurrection possible. So how do we know that Christ really did rise from the dead? And how do we convince anyone else that it's true. Now if you studied apologetics at all, you're well aware that there are ample evidences to convince anyone open to the possibility of a resurrection that Jesus did in fact rise from the dead. It's the most logical conclusion that can be reached from the historical evidence testimony of eyewitnesses, and their willingness to face death rather than deny their faith makes a very strong case for its being true. And the change that came in the lives of those who had actually seen the risen Lord gives testimony to the fact that they had indeed been with the resurrected Christ. Likewise, if we would convince skeptics today, we must go beyond intellectual arguments. We too must give evidence to the fact that we have been with Jesus. Now obviously, we haven't physically been With the resurrected Christ, he is no longer physically walking the face of the earth, but we have surely encountered him through eyes of faith. We've come to know him through his word, through his spirit, and through his body, the church. And we've been changed by him. If that change is made evident, our faith in the resurrection will be verified and the world will take note, as it did when belief in the resurrection first started changing lives and the world. We pick up the account when Peter's second recorded sermon is interrupted by some who not only noticed but reacted to what was taking place through the ministry of those who had been with Jesus. We're in the fourth chapter of the book of Acts. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came upon them, and being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, and they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. Many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. We see a reaction. Now, I didn't say how the people would react. Some do react positively, but others react negatively, and we're gonna begin with the negative because that's where our text begins. Now, you remember the setting. Peter and John had gone to the temple to pray, and a lame beggar spotted them and cried out for alms. Peter said he didn't have silver and gold, but would give them what he did have. He then said, in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. And the man did. In fact, he soon began walking and leaping and praising God for what had happened. All over the temple, he was walking and leaping and praising God. Now, this led to a crowd seeking to know what had happened and gave Peter the opportunity to preach his second sermon. A sermon, however, that was interrupted by the priests, the guards, and the Sadducees. Now, who, who were these people who burst onto the scene and brought the sermon to a halt? And why did they do so? The priests, and there were lots of priests in the temple, they had the responsibility of offering the various sacrifices that were made and the responsibility of teaching the people. Well, apparently they didn't like it when Peter and John, a couple of nobodies, started teaching in the temple. And motivated by professional jealousy, they wanted them silenced. The captain of the temple guard was charged with keeping order. And this lame man was leaping around, praising God and causing a scene. You know, decorum in a place of worship demanded that that be stopped. And then there are the Sadducees, the aristocrats of Judaism, the men of wealth and influence. They didn't believe in angels, demons, the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. You'll remember it. They were no doubt upset by the apostles' teaching about the resurrection, especially the resurrection of Jesus, whom they had a hand in crucifying. So the priests, the guards, the Sadducees, they didn't like what they saw and heard and reacted by throwing Peter and John and possibly even the beggar in jail. Now, that's one reaction, a reaction we would obviously classify as negative, a reaction we might find today, short of being thrown in jail at least here and now. There are some, like the priests, who will be jealous when they hear us talking about all that we have in Christ and teaching things they don't understand. There are others who won't like the effect our message has on people and who, like the guards, will try to squelch any public displays of religious fervor. And there are some like the Sadducees who will hear us teaching things they don't believe and be threatened by it. They won't be able to answer it, but they will try to silence through intimidation. Some will react to our having been with Jesus negatively. Others, however, will react positively. Many who had heard the message Believed and thousands accepted Christ because of the apostles' witness. The church was growing. 3,000 became Christians on Pentecost, and now there were over 5,000 men, plus women and children, who believed. Many liked what they heard and saw, and not just in the apostles, they liked what they saw taking place. In the lives of believers. They saw changes, good changes, taking place in the lives of people they knew. And so they came and heard and believed. That still happens today. You know, the vast majority who come to Christ do so because they have seen a difference in a friend friend shared what made the difference people will react if we've been with jesus and some will react positively they will also likely ask questions verses 5 through 12 and it came about on the next day that their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in jerusalem And Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. And when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, By what power, or in what name, have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, If we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now I didn't say all questions would be courteous inquiries about your faith. You know sometimes people's questions will actually be hostile attacks and that's what we have here but no matter. When a question is raised we are given an opportunity to share our faith. I've, I've taught for years that the best way to be a witness is to respond to questions, not to go on the attack. And questions will be raised if it's evident that your life has been changed. Well, a question in the form of an attack was directed at Peter and John, and they were given quite an opportunity. They were thrown in prison for the night, but the next day, the rulers, the elders, the scribes, the the Sanhedrin, the the high court of Judaism assembled. Now, this was the the Jewish Supreme Court, a court of 72 men, headed by Annas, the officially defrocked but still powerful former high priest, and his son-in-law Caiaphas, whom the Romans had put in charge. This was the same court that had condemned Jesus, and now Peter and John were brought before them. It was a very intimidating setting. 72 hostile judges sitting in concentric semicircles, all looking down on them. They were asked, By what power or in what name have you done this? Done what? The question was intentionally vague. There was no real accusation, only an inference that Peter and John had done something wrong. They were no doubt hoping they would intimidate or or incriminate themselves. But what had they done? They had healed someone and were speaking to the crowd that wanted to know how it had happened. What were they to say? Well. Jesus had told them days like this were coming. In Matthew 10, 16 through 20, we read, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. And you shall even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not become anxious about how or what you will speak. For it shall be given you in that hour what you're to speak. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Jesus had promised that the Holy Spirit would speak through them in such situations. And true to his word, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now this this wasn't a new outpouring of the Spirit. This was just an empowering by the Spirit. And Peter began, If we are on trial for the benefit done this man, how he was made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that it was done in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. That's who did this. Peter then made sure everyone knew it was Jesus who made the man well. And he added, yes, it's the same Jesus you rejected and crucified. The one you put to death, but God raised. The one God sent, but you rejected the cornerstone of God's house, a house you're trying to build, but a house destined to fall without Jesus as its foundation stone. Peter then wrapped it up by boldly declaring that there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And the word he used for saved is the same word he had used of the lame man being made well. Jesus had physically saved the lame man, and he was the only one who could spiritually save anyone. And they had rejected him. Peter turned the tables on them. He hadn't incriminated himself, he had incriminated them. They asked the question, they opened the door, he went through it. Now, I don't believe we're always going to be led to be quite that confrontational when we're asked a question. But a question does open the door for witness, and we should be willing to go through it and pray for wisdom as we do. Now, I've shared before, I, I have many opportunities to, to share my faith at Fit Club. It's a relaxed atmosphere. I get to know the guys. Generally, I'm real civil in answering their questions. For some reason, Friday, I was fired up. And uh, there are times when we're going to respond a little aggressively. And there are times when that's okay. Whatever the opportunity, take it when the door is opened. Try to assess the situation. Try to to speak in a way that, that words will be heard. And allow the Spirit to direct you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, People will respond if they see that God is working through us. They'll marvel. Let's go on. Verses 13 and 14. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say. Now, even if people don't agree with us, they should marvel at what God is able to do through us. The Sanhedrin was impressed as they observed the confidence of Peter and John. They didn't back down. They weren't intimidated. There was an assurance in their demeanor that the Sanhedrin didn't expect, especially since they knew these men were unschooled. They were uneducated. They had never been to the rabbinic schools. How could they speak with such authority? In fact, they were untrained. They shouldn't even have been able to speak in public. They were commoners. The Greek word is idiotes. I think you can figure that one out. But here they were, confounding the intellectual elite of the nation, how could it be explained? Then it dawned on them, they'd seen this before, these men had been with Jesus. He too was uneducated, untrained, they couldn't match wits with him. And now the same was true of his disciples and they certainly couldn't argue the fact that they had done something no one could do apart from God they had healed the beggar all they could do for the moment was marvel they didn't like it they weren't converted They hadn't come under conviction of their sin, but they did marvel. And at the very least, that should be the response of those who see Christ at work in our lives. They should marvel at the change He has made. They should marvel at the confidence we have. They should marvel at the joy we experience. And they will if we've been with Jesus. So have you been with Jesus? Have you met him in his word? Have you fellowshiped with him through his body, the church? Is he living in your heart and guiding your life? Has he changed you for the better? Have you surrendered your all to him? If you have, don't hide it. Make sure everyone knows that you have been with Jesus. If you haven't, now's the time to come to.